seabird at some point in the last week no i haven't been to the beach what are you talking about it's been like 20 degrees my ass is just wrecked and so is yours so i just feel like one of us got some real bad luck Mm, who doesn't have bad luck we're in a pandemic this is true (laughs) hey babe yeah babe remember that time we watched the lighthouse you mean robert eggers sophomore attempt at another sort of bit of folklore Yeah, this is the same director as my personal favorite horror film, The Vavitch. Yeah, one of my top five. It's the first movie we ever covered on this podcast. That's true. That's very true. Good times. Good times. Yeah, (laughs) I love The Vavitch. And this movie is okay. Yeah, it's it's okay. I see all of the good parts of it. Uh, We'll dive into that later. But yeah, I see all the good parts of it. And man, if it just added up to a great hole, it really feels, I guess, like, yeah, my thesis statement up top is just like, it's a bit of a sophomore slump. Yeah, which is okay. It happens. Um, And we're going to we're going to get into some fun stuff with the lore. We promise this isn't going to be one of those podcasts where we're just shitting on it the whole time. No, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, because it's got some really cool, interesting stuff that it's really getting at here. So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes, and today we'll be doing the normal format here, and if you don't know what that is, Topher will take us through who made this thing, Mm -hmm. shout out the cast and the crew, and then I will take us through the plot, and then then we'll go into a deeper analysis of the film, and in this one, like I said, there's some really fun, cool lore stuff, which Robert Eggers is obviously very obsessed with. Yeah, it's his whole deal. It's his whole deal, which... Hey, I love a brand. I yes. love a brand. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's sort of the auteur of lure, if yes. you will. I, w- I really would had agree. to force that one into the into the rhymes game, but I, I did it. I did you it. You know, you're no Dr. Seuss, but at least you don't suck. Did you know, I've been meaning to tell you this since the whole like fucking Ted Cruz conservatives being pissed that like some books that they've never read by said author were not going to be sold anymore by the estate. They said, we don't want to sell these anymore, so we're not. What so, is this Fahrenheit 451? <laughs> is that the is that the book? Yeah, that burned the Bradbury. Yeah, Bradbury. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. I passed the third grade. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read Fahrenheit 451 in the third grade? <laughs> I think so. That's a early time. Either to read that, that or I dreamed it. I don't know. Fair enough. I had a lot of anxiety as a kid. <laughs> I could have just dreamed it. We don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the fun fact is, it's pronounced soyce. What? Yeah, so it's soysicle the moysicle. I'm I'm suing. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's infuriating. It's great. That's I, fantastic. I just have been waiting to drop that knowledge on you I since quit. you did play I Maisie. Quit. I quit. <laughs> oh God, I played Maisie in high school. Come on. Everybody I, plays Maisie. In it's high what school. I'm saying. Like it doesn't matter. But, but yeah, soysicle the moysicle. I I fucking hate that. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I quit. I don't even know what I'm quitting, it but I know that like I'm quitting. It sounds like someone from Jersey who doesn't know how to, who's trying to say soy sauce. Yeah. But they can't quite get it. Like one of the dudes from the Jersey Shore trying to say soy sauce. You can absolutely imagine that that's what. I don't know anybody who's from that show, but. You just ruined my weekend. I'm so happy to have done that. <laughs> okay. I guess we should actually get back to this movie. So yeah. who made this thing, Topher? Well, Robert Eggers. Yes. This is the second project from, full feature project from Robert Eggers who we know and love from the Vavitch. 
Uh, he's an A24 darling. Mm-hmm. He wrote it with his brother, Max. Uh, the original intent was to adapt it from an Edgar Allan Poe tale. Yeah, this has Edgar Allan Poe, like... Up and down. Written all over it. But, yeah, by the end, it definitely didn't resemble the original at all, but that's where it started. And that comes from him. Mean, he's uh, one of Edgar's earliest shorts uh, from a few years ago was a short uh, video project on the Telltale Heart. Yes, I knew that, actually. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah, so he's done Hansel and Gretel as a short. Mm-hmm. Telltale Heart is a short. Brothers is a short. Um, yeah, so this is his second one. He's got another movie coming out. It's in post-production right now, The Northman, uh, which is also going to be another sort of folklorish thing. Sounds like it. Yeah. I couldn't... If you, if you just gave me that title and asked me what it was about, that's exactly what I would say. It's his direct response to The Irishman. Is it really, or are you no, making that I'm, up? Okay. I'm just making jokes because my brain is half-formed right now. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this. It's starring good old R. Pats, Robert Pattinson. Yep. As first Ephraim Winslow and then Thomas Howard. Uh, yeah. His, re- his real name is Thomas Howard, but he says his name is Ephraim Winslow early on. Yes. The incomparable Willem Dafoe. Yo. As Thomas Wake. I He's, love Willem First Dafoe. of all, first of all, bravo to casting for casting him because he just already was a shoe in and, a, and and just fit. He could not. He could not have said a word. Not have been like, yes, he was perfect. Yes, in this movie. absolutely. This could have been a silent film, or he could have been silent a silent Mm -hmm. character and yeah i would have still just been like yep bravo he but he does speak and he does an amazing job it's incredible i mean i love him in um spider-man in in spider-man i do (laughs) and boondock saints which is not a movie i like but i love him he's a wonderful kind of like menacing uh i don't like this director but and I have very good reasons to, one of which is that he sexually harassed bjork as far as i know which that is Truly, if you have not caught up, that's how you say Bjork. We've yeah, been saying it but wrong. But you're this mad whole at me time. for Soyce. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm letting everyone know that you know how to pronounce. Yeah. Bjork. It's actually Bjork. Um, she she's, she said it in in an interview at one point. But anyway, yeah, yeah. leave leave her alone. She yeah. is. I will go. I will protect her with my entire fucking life. So yeah, I hate that. Person she's a precious too. angel. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's Lars von Trier who directed Antichrist. And also uh, the two uh, Nymphomaniac movies. Yeah. They're good movies. I, I think he's a pretty solid director. We're probably never going to cover him on here because I would just yell about, you and I both would just yell about Bjork the whole time. Yes. And I don't really want to uh, platform him. Um, but yeah, he was in, he was fantastic in Antichrist. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a wonderful actor, especially in roles like this. Yeah, he really knows, like, he can be fun and silly and then also just chew the meat out of a scene. Mm-hmm. And I, I love him for it. Um, the only only other two roles in this, other than you know, like just some side like uh, background act- seagulls. There are lots of seagulls. Actually, one of them is named since we always whenever we have the animal What's actor's his name? name, Sully. Sully Seagull. Oh, that's not original, but I'll still take it. Hey, Sully's a great name. I for just a said I'll take it. All right. I wonder if he was named for Sully Sullenberger, the guy who flew into a bunch of geese. Probably. Yeah. What would you name a seagull? Bernard. That's a good name. Yeah. That's good. Feels like a very... Or Bernard. You know, like either pronunciation I'm fine with. They feel very That's seagull-y. pretentious. But yeah. that might work for a seagull. <laughs> yeah, I feel like seagulls are a little pretentious, you know? I'd name him Jack Daniels. 
<laughs> trashy but useful. <laughs> well, there's a lot of there's unfortunately there's unfortunately a lot of trash in the sea, and I feel like you find a lot of Jack Daniels bottles. Probably, yeah. I wonder if there's any love letters in them. The seagull wrote it. Ah, that's why he put it in the Jack Daniels bottle, and that's why he's named it, Jack Daniels. Oh, I just okay. wrote a whole well, yeah. narrative for a seagull. Please save me. What's happening? What? I think what that's else? Actually more Who narrative else? Than in this movie. Who else uh, is in this movie? <laughs> So the Help. only other two roles are uh, non-speaking roles. Uh, Valeria Caramon. Caramon oh, she's as the, the mermaid. mermaid. Yeah. yeah. And Logan Hawks as Ephraim Win- as the real Ephraim Winslow. That's right. Um, but neither of them actually speak. She screams and he uh, acts, but it's Robert Pattinson's voice. I love the idea of a mermaid just being a banshee instead. Yeah, it's more like a siren vibe. Yeah. 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 I like banshee. Down for it. Well, they're different. I know they're different. That's what I'm saying. I like calling her a banshee more. But she's not a banshee. She's not wandering the moors. Oh, my God. We've got the lore police over here. (laughs) It's my literal job. You asked me to do this. I know. I'm just complaining. And you didn't say the safe word. What's this? I don't even know what the safe word is. It's a different kind of complaining. It's please don't do that. Oh. (laughs) It's very kind. Okay. (sighs) Oh. We had music from Mark Corvin. Um, he also did The Witch, mm-hmm. The Witch, The Witch, whatever. Um, and In the Tall Grass in the same year. Uh, cinematography was from, uh, I think it's Yaren Blaschke, but or it could be Jaren Blaschke, because he's from California. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I couldn't find anything. But um, also, it's, this is a returning team, right? This is what we, this is what we always talk about with indie directors is they just hook up with the same crew again and again. Mm-hmm. So he's he shot The Witch. And he will be shooting the Northmen, um, or I guess has shot the Northmen. Um, yeah, another sort of, he's just sort of been all over the indie world. Um, right. Lots and lots of shorts as a cinematographer. Our production designer was Craig Lathrop, mm-hmm. uh, who's done everything. Um, speaking of Boondock Saints, he was the art director for that movie. Amazing. Um, also for the big hit, which is a kind of forgotten big deal movie that happened. Um in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, one of my favorite things about him is that he kind of got his start on In Living Color. Oh. Yeah. Fun. I just think that's fun, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a fun little fact. Um, whole thing was shot in Nova Scotia, basically. Uh, yeah. I think that there was a New York unit that did some work, but not much. Yeah. Um, I think just pickup shots kind of out on, uh, like, around Montauk. Yeah, and did you know that they actually built all of the structures that you see? I did not. I mean, it makes sense they had to destroy them. In the movie, so it makes sense. Yeah, they built everything, and um, they ran into some issues or where they just had to get kind of creative because once they got into the lighthouse, they realized that they couldn't get the shot because they didn't have enough room to yeah, even like move out. around. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of had to get creative there. And yeah, they built everything that every structure that you see in the movie was built fresh. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Craig Lathrop then for production design there. Yeah. I love that. The editing was from uh, Louise Ford. Mm-hmm. Again, another industry favorite. Yeah. Production was, like I said earlier, from A24, uh, Regency Enterprises and RT Features. Um, and A24 did the distribution with Focus Features doing the, uh, uh, which they're now a subsidiary of Universal, but they did the, the international release. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I said, it came out in 2019, debuted at Cannes. Uh, film festival in May and then got its wide release in October of uh, that year. That's right. It's a fairly tight runtime for what this is. I would say it's not your standard 90 minutes, but it's right at like a buck 45 or so. Maybe yeah. about an hour 50. 
Yeah. It's under two hours, which is surprising for a movie of this sort of scope. Yeah, and see, I kind of think this movie would have been way more successful if it was a short. Either as a short or longer. Um, I think you can trim a lot down from this movie. I don't. Yeah, I think it's too trimmed, honestly. I th- we'll get to that, but I think there's a, just a, so much missing from this. I think maybe you could replace things. Yeah, I, there's, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. I don't think it can be any longer and, and be <laughs> successful. Maybe replacing is what I, really what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was shot for about. <laughs> four, okay, yeah. <laughs> Nicole only wants movies to be twenty minutes long. Um, That's not true. I know. I'm just giving you shit. So shot for about four million dollars and got eighteen point three back in box office. Okay. Very. I mean, a twenty four just makes fucking money, dude. They they shoot for so little and make so much. And I mostly like their films. Mostly. Yeah, I haven't seen one that I hated so far. Yeah. Even this one that is not my favorite, I I still liked. I still enjoyed a lot of it, mm-hmm. mostly for the film nerdiness of it. But right, so it it like I said, it's been fucking widely praised. It has been just completely just across the board loved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, th- there are some negative critiques of it. We are going to be one of those, but it, there's not many. <laughs> right. Um. People just love what Eggers is doing. And even though I think it's a slump, you think it's a slump. Uh, that doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was nominated for Best Cinematography at uh, both the BAFTAs and the uh, Oscars mm-hmm. that year. Um, it didn't win anything in the sort of big deal awards, but it was, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it, it didn't win anything in the major awards. Um but yeah, Defoe got nominated for a bunch of acting um, awards. Uh, it did take a prize during Critics Week at Cannes mm-hmm. for uh, Robert Eggers for direction. Um, and then won some Independent Spirit Awards as well. But yeah, it's it like I said, it's just been widely, widely loved. It's at an 83 on Metacritic. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's basically everything I have on the production before we go into things later. Um, I guess one cool thing that I can say up top is that it was shot um, basically almost square. Yes. The aspect ratio is a 119 to 1. That was one of the first things that he knew he was going to do. He said, yeah. I'm absolutely going to shoot it this way in this aspect ratio in black and white. Like, yeah. all of all of those things. Absolutely where um, he started, yeah. Yeah, that was like before he even knew anything else. He knew that the concept of this movie had to be shot this way. Yes. So. And I think he's right about that. I think it, the tightness of the shots is really fantastic. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I really can praise up top about it. Yeah, I think the movie's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I do. It's I think stunning. the cinematography is great. Stunning. I think there's a lot. There are a lot of good things to say about it. I just, you know, it, it didn't strike a chord with me personally, and that's okay. That's absolutely fine. Because the witch did. <laughs> <laughs> it does slap. And so I, I love Robert Eggers. I have nothing against him. No, I'm ready to see what he does next. You know, it's one of those yeah. that like it kind of got me excited. Of like, okay, you got the you got the rough one out of your system. Let's go. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to take us away on plot, I'm all, I'm all square until you uh, Sweet. Until jump into the analysis, the analysis. Uh, that's, cut that out. That's gross. <laughs> I will never. But yeah, before he says that again, here we go. Here's plot. <laughs> so we are in the late 19th century. How do you say his name? Ephraim? Ephraim. Ephraim? Yeah. It's a or cool Ephraim. name. Ephraim. It's, it's Hebrew, right? But it's Ephraim. Um, it's roughly what it, how you pronounce it in Hebrew. But I've always heard it as Ephraim or Ephraim. So Ephraim Winslow, he um, he's on a contract as a, a wiki, which 
cracks me up. Yeah, that it's always me. very funny. I think Wookiee. Oh, Star yeah. Wars immediately. Well, Chewbacca. Well, yeah. For So he's a Wookiee for a month. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, hanging out. Uh, just big um, and hairy and good at climbing trees and yelling and fixing them Millennium Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> so... Ephraim Winslow, he's on an isolated island where we're off the coast of New England, and he's with um, Thomas Wake, who is um, William Defoe. Ephraim discovers this like little little mermaid lady. Mm-hmm. Scrim, some scrimshaw. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about that later too. Um, and he keeps it in his jacket, which I mean, a lot of um, folks at sea thought that mermaids were you know, lucky, so they often kept tokens of of them. In fact, they were just manatees. Yep. Manatees are beautiful. They are. They're very creatures. sweet. I've I love gotten them. to touch one before. I love them. Mm-hmm. They're very cute. Um, so big old dummies floating around in the water. I love them. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. So basically, this job sucks. I mean, I feel like every job um, in the 19th century sucked. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it's factory boat lighthouse logging. Yeah, it's like William Defoe's character um, is is very very demanding and it just like oh, you know an asshole, he, yeah. he's an asshole of a boss. So he's um, he makes him like empty chamber pots. Gross. He makes him paint the lighthouse. It's dangerous. Heavy uh, carry carry heavy things and and just you know shitty stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he won't let him into the lantern room. Yeah, where which, the actual light is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, what? Why? So Winslow, who's Robert Pattinson's um, character, mm-hmm. sees that every night Wake goes to the lighthouse and takes off his clothes. Mm-hmm. And like bathes in the light. And bathes in the yeah. light. It's, yeah, it's, it's very, very strange. So Winslow begins to hallucinate sea monsters and logs, and he there's even a scene where he like masturbates to the mermaid, um, all of you know just like normal normal shit. Um, he yeah, <laughs> and he we kind of it's kind of like a big montage here. Like we see that it keeps happening with Wake. He keeps observing this ritual um, that he goes up, you know, to the, and and gets naked and bathes in the light of the lighthouse and all of this like weird. Shit. But then there's this one-eyed seagull. Sully. Sully. That Wake is like, don't kill him. Because he believes that they're reincarnated sailors. Mm-hmm. So then we've got we've got family dinner. And <laughs> um, Thomas Wake reveals to Winslow that his previous wiki died after losing his sanity. Which is such a typical horror trope of like... You're the new guy. What happened to the old guy? Absolutely. You yeah. know, he he lost he he lost his mind, and it's like, oh, it's the same way haunting stories go. Ominous. Yeah, it's the basic premise for most haunting stories: is new family moves into a house. What uh, happened and, to the other family? Right. Yeah. yeah. Why did they leave so suddenly? Why is this giant house so cheap, etc.? And furnished. Do you think that's how the friends got the friends apartment? <laughs> Probably. Oh, I think they're all haunted in their own right, but that's a different podcast. <laughs> A lot of sitcom characters are haunted. Yeah, I'm not trying to break into that game, though. There's so many Friends podcasts. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I don't care enough about that show to do that. Yeah, it's pretty I'm boring. just I'm just saying they're definitely haunted in their own right. 
So we also learn a little bit about Winslow. He used to be a timberman in Canada, and, and he was seeking a new trade, etc. Yeah, because Wade keeps um, bothering him about it. He's like, what the fuck? Who are where, you? Where, yeah, where are, are you from? You? Where are you from? Yeah. Where are you from? Yeah. And he's like, finally, he's like, well, I was just, I, I was looking for something new to do, basically. Yeah. So Winslow's supposed to, supposed to leave, but he finds a dead seagull, um, and there's like bloody water and stuff, and... Then he's attacked again by the one-eyed seagull. And this time, though, he, like, brutally kills it. Oh, like, it's Grabs rough. it by the neck and just, like, hits it against... It's it's bad. I, I, I hated that moment. I honestly... Like, it was really well done, but I hated it. I didn't really watch it. Once it started, I looked away. Um, but then, after he kills this seagull, the wind changes direction, and we've got, like, this big, ridiculous storm, so he can't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so Winslow, which happens a lot with sailors, we feel like with like all of like we think about the fog. Yes. That movie, John Carpenter's movie. And we think about like all of these things. So we've got two main horror tropes here working in our favor. Yeah. As of right now. Yeah. Sort of the what happened to the previous guy. And yes, uh, you did something and now there's consequences. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is what, you know, kind of what lore it hinges on lore. Yes. You yes. know? Yeah. These so, are very which, classic. Yeah very, yeah. very, very classic tropes. Yeah. So what do they do? They're like, you know, you're, you're stuck with somebody. What do you do? You get drunk, right? Yeah. Because you know? so, he hasn't been drinking the whole time. He's like, nope, it's in the it's in the rule book. It says I'm not allowed to drink. Uh, so I yeah. don't drink. Yeah. But they've got a lot of gin and they're drinking. Um, and the, you know, the storm's getting worse. Um, it, ha- it, 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 it really doesn't subside. Through the next morning, um, they can't even get a relief ferry out there because the storm is so bad. Yeah, I was supposed to bring the new wiki and take him away, yeah. And you, it just it can't happen. So um, Winslow is now emptying the chamber pots as he does every single day, which sounds like it sucks. I would not um, be a fan, no. Yeah. He notices a body that's washed up on the shore. And this is where we get our mermaid. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like howling, screaming at him. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. Like I said, I like this shot. Of course I do. It's a pretty lady. Um, <laughs> and so he... A knocked lady with sharp teeth. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And he, he heads back to the cottage where Wake is like, so we don't have any more food um, <laughs> because of the storm. And we won't get any more food for, you know, weeks because right the resupply not, can't get here yeah yeah we're not near any civilization so they find like a crate that's at the base of the lighthouse that um has is supposed to have reserve rations but the only thing they find is more gin <laughs> so the storm is continuing on for the next couple of days they drink most of the gin they have kind of you know they have they have moments of they have intimate moments, but then they also have like very hostile moments with yeah, each other. Yeah, it's a other. lot of oscillation, and in like Toxic in the same masculinity, moments, yeah. and and it's really weird. I love you, bro. I'm gonna fight you, bro. Yeah, it's really it's it's just kiss. I hated watching it to be honest. Um, okay, so Winslow's curiosity is just like getting pretty pretty intense here. So he tries to steal yeah, the he's keys. He's drunk. He's going crazy. He's hungry. He's bored. Yeah. Yeah. So he tries to steal the keys while Wake is sleeping, but does that ever fucking work? No. Nope. So he's like, con- he's contemplating stabbing him. Um, and he, later he like has a full on hallucination of like a lobster trap. 
Yeah, he's trying to haul the lobsters up because they're they've been that's what they've been eating. Yeah. And and he he hallucinates um like a one-eyed head and we assume it's the previous wiki. Mm-hmm. Um in in the in the trap, but it's all a hallucination. Um this is at this point he confesses to Wake that he is Thomas Howard. He is not Ephraim Winslow. Yeah. He <laughs> Don't spill your beans, boy. <laughs> Don't spill your brains. So he assumed this identity because this this man, Ephraim Winslow, died in an accident that Howard purposefully neglected to stop. So there's a lot of guilt there, etc. Yeah, he tells um, the whole story of how he's like they were logging and like uh, a log came loose and he didn't tell Winslow that it was coming and he just got knocked in the water and drowned. Yeah. Because um, he hated his foreman because his foreman was a jerk. He was mean to him. He told him to do his job. Oh, God. So Wake chases Howard, accusing him of spilling his beans, like you were saying. Yep. And destroys their only dory with an axe. Yeah, their lifeboat. Yeah. Yeah. So he's incapacitated, but Wake claims that it was Howard who chased him and destroyed. Yeah, that the roles were reversed. The, yeah. He yeah. basically alcohol and isolation... And no food does horrors for the brain. And so does the next thing they do. Yes. <laughs> so now we have no alcohol left. So let's see what happens here. This should be fun. The gin's Strap gone. in. <laughs> Strap in. So guess what they start drinking? Turpentine and honey. Hey, gets the job done. <laughs> that's, what ja- that's what Jack Daniel's honey tastes like. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, it's pretty good. Um, uh. Anyway. Yeah, don't drink turpentine, guys. You want to know why? So the storm gets worse and starts flooding the the cottage. And then the next morning, Howard finds Wake's soiled logbook in which Wake... Yeah, just completely drowned, yeah. Wake criticized him as drunk and incompetent and thought that he should be sacked without pay. So the two men argue and Howard attacks Wake while hallucinating the mermaid, the real Winslow, and Wake as a Proteus-like figure. Yeah, Proteus is a, 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 an ancient uh, sea god, basically. Yes, I was um, about to get oh, to that. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just coming here. My, uh, no, you, you, you go ahead. You've I'm got being it. lore boy. Yeah, you've, you've got it. This is your title, so go ahead. Um, yeah, so Proteus comes from um, Homeric myth. Is one of the earliest references we have to it, right? Homer, the Odyssey, yada, yada. Yep. Um, we say like, oh, yeah, Poseidon or Neptune, king of the sea. And it's like, yeah, but there are like a thousand other gods of the sea. Proteus yeah. is one of those, um, often depicted naked and like uh, was the old man of the sea, right? Like Neptune kind of, or uh, like Poseidon slash Neptune kind of ends up absorbing that in depictions that we see now. But initially, uh, Poseidon was this like robust, young, buff boy. Yeah. And, uh, or like, you know, like a, a, a man, like a younger man, right? Yeah. Uh, more like Pattinson. Yeah. Uh, all cut and burly. And uh, uh, Proteus was like an older god who, I mean, Homer literally calls him the old man of the sea. Yeah. And that's, if you ever read, read the Hemingway book, The Old Man in the Sea, that's a reference to the Proteus myth. Yeah. Um, that was sort of like old and crotchety, but wise, like had two sides to it, right? Like temperamental in its old in his old age but also could give you all the wisdom of the sea if you needed it got it if you like come to it the right way right it mattered how you approached him yep that's basically it so howard beats wake into submission and takes him to the hole at the base of the lighthouse to bury him alive 
horrifying. Wake curses Howard as he's, you know, being buried. This was really hard to watch, by the way. Because normally this was something that I kind of was like mad props as far as like horror filmmaking goes. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time when when someone's being buried alive, you don't see you you don't see the dirt hitting their face and them reacting to it and choking you, on it. Yeah, you see something else. You see, you know, you see something campy like them screaming. You know, like yeah, like you know what I mean. This like is in, right up there with Evil Dead for me. Yeah, that bury alive scene, right where, yeah. he, where he's burying Mia, mm-hmm. and she does that. We we praised it in that episode where uh, Jane Levy does that flip switch. Yeah. And it's a, it's incredible. This is very similar to that, except it doesn't have the switch point. It's just that he's like. This one was even more stripped away than that, though. Yeah, and I exactly. think that's what made it more gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. Was that was that sad. Yeah, we didn't we we didn't have anything to distract us. I don't even think there was an underscore. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, there was I think it's any, just I think it's just soundscape in the background. It's hear, just waves. Yeah, and we dirt. just hear him coughing, and it was it was very hard to watch. But anyway. Uh, so Wake curses Howard, wishing him a Promethean fate, which basically, like, long story short, a Promethean fate is just you you die very slowly and painfully and in, like, a torturous way. It's and it another, involves birds. It involves birds because I, th- I, believe, um, I believe it was, there was, like, a bird that would nip at, like, his liver. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so... The, we, we will, I actually want to get into this in the analysis part too, but mm-hmm. the quick story from Euthyus, yeah, he stole fire from the gods to give to humans. Yes. He was a demigod, um, stole fire from the gods to give to humans uh, after being told no. Mm-hmm. So Zeus is like, well, I said no, so here we go. You get eternal life. Hey. Mm-hmm. But also, you're strapped to a rock, and an eagle's going to come and pick out your liver every single day. And then and the liver, regrows. like, regrows. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's like, it's it's just a painful existence, basically. Mm-hmm. So Howard takes the keys to the lantern room, um, but then Wake frees himself, and Howard gets struck by an axe. Oh, yeah. He comes in full Jack Torrance. He comes in hot <laughs> with this axe. I just started, I just was like, um, that meme of uh, Leo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he sees himself on screen, he's like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. That was me, but I was yelling, oh, The Shining. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. Um, so Howard ends up disarming Wake and kills him before going to the, uh, reaching the top of the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in the lantern room and the lens opens to Howard who reaches in and violently screams. Yeah, it's this really cool um, distorted like... Yeah. That that was my probably my second favorite part as far as... Um, and probably because it was very like David Lynch. Um, yeah, big Red Room vibes, yeah. Yeah. So I... I don't know. I, I really liked that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but he he's so he slips and falls down the lighthouse steps. And then we see kind of we jump we jump a little bit forward in time here. And there's a barely living Howard. He's he's naked on the rocks. There's a damaged eye as a flock of seagulls peck at his exposed bowels. Mm-hmm. Which the and this is the end of the movie, which again, like I think this ending scene is or this like the last ten minutes of this movie are my favorite, um, between the being buried alive and the whole Promethean fate thing. Like I think yeah. that's really cool. I think it just didn't. It, this movie isn't for me, and I recognize that, and that's why I'm I'm going to be as objective as possible when analyzing totally. this. Um, because I do see 
how people could could really love it. It just I kind of just feel like this movie is just it wasn't made for me. So <laughs> yeah. So I was talking to friend of ours and former guest uh, Joseph yesterday, mm-hmm. Poinsky, and he loves this movie. And like I said up top, everybody seems to love this movie. Yeah. So it is for us, but it's not. And I, so I, I was surprised. I was like, I, I was surprised how much he loved it. Cause I was like, this movie feels like it was made for me because it's just a thousand and one references. Yeah. Right. Like when I texted you, like um, sort of the preamble for it to sort of give you like the primer, mm-hmm. which when one of us watches the movie first, the other one tries to give them a primer on it. That's the thing we just do back and forth. If, if you ever wanted to know how horror babes works a little bit more <laughs> is that we try to, you know, keep each other informed of like, Hey, here's the things that I was watching that I saw that I was watching out for that I would have liked to know to watch out for so yeah but when i texted you i was like okay so it's howard hawks it's john carpenter it's uh it's hitchcock it's twilight zone it's all of these things and i respect it for all of that there's just i don't know you guys know you guys know that thing where you feel like you should like a movie but it just doesn't click it's kind of like when when you're going on a date with someone and they look really good on their dating profile, they look really good on paper, but when you, and they're, and you even, like, you find them attractive and funny and smart and all of those things um, and very nice, but that extra, like, chemistry isn't there or, or you're like, I think, I think we good... should just be friends sort of thing. Yeah, I kind of do just want to be friends with this movie. It's yeah, kind of how not, I feel. Yeah. I'm not in love. Yeah, I like it. It's fun to hang out with, but I don't love it. You're right. Yeah. That's the best analogy I could really come up with because I don't, I don't, I don't fault people for liking this movie. I, I obviously I see how how you really could like it and love it and all of those things. It's just not, not for me. It just didn't grab me. And that's yeah fine. So I took a shit ton of notes while I was watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to just sort of like let it wash over me because I knew it was going to be kind of a vibe movie. Yeah, but I wanted to. I, I started watching it. I was like, you know what? There's a lot of stuff in here that I need to take notes on. Yeah. So I'm going to just, a lot of these were praises. Um, I've got like three pages of notes. I'm not going to read them all, but, and some of them are joke observations because I'm just, I make jokes to myself because no one else will. Hmm. Um, but the first one I loved, uh, the first shot that I made a note of was um, there's a shot where Defoe's looking at um, Pattinson. Mm-hmm. And it's framed, uh, we're on Pattinson's left side, right? So he's the foreground. Mm-hmm. And Defoe's in the background, but the foreground's out of focus and the background is, is in focus. Yes. And the way that it's shot, it looks like um, Pattinson stacked with some tiggle bitties. <laughs> and Defoe's looking, but it's a really cool, like, lust shot. Yeah. But not the way you normally see it, right? Normally you see, um, you would still have the background be the sharp part of the image, but it would be shot as if you're looking from the foreground. Yeah. As like the character who's lusting mm-hmm. this way. So it's not the male gaze, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, trope. It's watching the lust come towards it. Yeah. Towards the viewer. And I think that, I thought that was a really cool use of like eyeline and all of that. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I'm about to, I'm about to say some mean things about the movie. So I want to say nice things first. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, um, yeah, so I also loved the way that the entire movie was shot um, in, in terms of its focus um, and the sharpness of the shots. So it was shot like a noir film. Yes. Um, very much like that higher speed film. Mm-hmm. 
um, to get that in the high contrast and the like weird white balance is very beautiful. And I love that that that's another one of those references I'm talking about. Right. And that's how Hawks shot. Right. Yeah. A lot of times is mm-hmm. that you had it, a lot of black and white was shot that way. But this particularly that was one of his notable styles. Yeah. Um, so that's another great thing. But this is, again, like I'm trying to like knock out what he, what they're referencing, because I think that's the best parts of this mm-hmm. <laughs> in some way. Oh, this is something that you texted me about the dialects. You thought that Pattinson's was all over the place. I think that's intentional. And I actually do want to talk about that. Oh, you think he's completely faking... Because he's faking the identity, you think he's faking the dialect? Yep. And as soon as he starts getting drunk, his real one comes out. So he starts oh. off... These Eggers is... If I, if I can say nothing... If I had to say one thing, if you say, you're like, you can only say one good thing about Eggers and nothing else, dude knows his historical dialects. He is mm-hmm. incredible at them. Um, they are very well researched and the actors work really hard. I mean, to, the to witch. The witch was not an easy feat, and it was pretty amazing. No. So, um, so that makes a lot more sense to me, though, because I was like, I was like, why is Robert Pattinson giving me like, like, uh, college student performing his first Shakespeare? Yeah, it's, like it was. Yeah. but but that makes more sense to me, and I think it was the dialect that was throwing me off, but. Yeah, I think I can accept it more with that. But at first I was like, oh, our Pats is not holding up to William Dafoe. Like, and I think he really does. I actually I think his performance in this is fantastic. Um, I loved it. I, I know you weren't the biggest fan of his, but I, I really liked him in this because when you I did a little more research on the dialects is like I've said before on the podcast and, you know, I used to do dialect coaching. And it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do in the industry. If I didn't if I wasn't a director or writer, I would be that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I went and looked, looked up some of the uh, dialects they were using. So he starts off in a uh, upstate New York, like Buffalo area and can- Canadian border yeah. accent. Because that's, I think he, he definitely was a logger or timberman. <laughs> but he yeah. starts off in that accent. And once he spills his beans, that's it when changes. the mass accent comes out. So he it's this very arch blue blood mass accent, Massachusetts accent that like you hear in the Kennedys right whenever you listen to JFK talk that's that accent yeah I think that's what down. was throwing me off because he because whenever it was you know his silent moments his silent mm-hmm. acting I was I I was pretty impressed I think it so I think it really was just like the dialect and like the loud talking I was like why are you projecting so much yeah it's very much I mean most of this movie could have been a play right and I think oh, that's, for sure it, this is very much just like a stage play yeah. Um, that's shot on film. Mm-hmm. There are parts of it that definitely couldn't be, I don't think, but this was... I think was, you could do it. You probably could. I think you could do it. Um, With a Broadway budget, you could probably oh, do it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like... Even off-Broadway budget, I think Yeah, I was thinking like it. black box budget, no, but... No, but if you... Uh, I <laughs> or mean, with some hefty acting, you could, I guess, but... Well, with all of the cool effects and all of all of those professionals, I think you could probably pull totally. it off. Um, they only killed like three people during Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, and then Defoe's accent is one of my favorites because it's that's itself is a reference to Jaws. That's Quint's accent from Jaws, which is a real oh. uh, dialect that still exists in the world today. Mm-hmm. Um, both both of their accents by the end of the film are real uh, dialects that exist to this day. Yeah, and so Pattinson's is the Blue Blood Mass um, accent or Blue Blood Massachusetts Boston area, and then. Defoe's is from this little island off the coast. I think it's around Virginia Beach, and that's where Quint from Jaws. Got it. Had, okay. That's where his dialect comes from. Cool. Um, I 
uh, there was a uh, great there's a great documentary that involves preserved dialects mm-hmm. uh, in uh, preserved American dialects because we've been so homogenized now. Yeah. Um, like I was watching something earlier because uh, I was reading through a bunch of dialect stuff research mm-hmm. um, and was uh, getting back to like the transatlantic accent. Right. Yes. Um, which is a whole cool story about how that happened. But um, and it's completely fabricated, but these are, you know, these sort of natural dialects that are the original sort of American versions of British accents yeah. that still exist to this day. Like Elizabethan uh, dialects still exist in uh, Eastern Kentucky. There's oh. a county that still speaks completely that way. I didn't know that. Yeah, they've That's been so, cool. it's because they're so isolated. Right. Um, that it's never changed. So it's like a, it's a near perfect presentation or uh, preservation of the Elizabethan era dialect. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just cool shit like that. So. Good for you, Eggers. Um, I love yeah, the no, dialect I, working. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was impeccable. Yeah, I love I love a well researched king. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's get like yes. I mean, you do love me, so go for it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I loved all the the references to German expressionism. Um, oh, for sure. That's definitely sure. a lot in here. So yeah, I think that's sort of the the really nice things I can say about it. Yeah. Um, the lore is amazing. We'll get, I think we'll finish on that note. I don't want to like. I want to go like uh, nice. We can do opinion nice. and then yeah. lore. That, yeah. I think that's fine. So here's my take on the movie is that it's about half done. Okay. The narrative is not. So so one thing that I loved about The Witch and one thing that I think Eggers is generally very good at is visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. And he does that kind of in this but i think he's a little too tied up in trying to do too much and that's why i think it's a sophomore slump right he tried to do too much with this yeah the witch is very very focused very narrow it's not trying to achieve a thousand and one things it's trying to achieve like two or three which is i think what you should do with basically every movie yeah um i i don't like when i i like a more minimalist approach to writing and direction right yeah. So what this is trying to do is it's trying to reference a thousand and one different fucking film styles. Mm-hmm. It's trying to do lore. It's trying to do an isolation horror film. It's trying to do a psychological thriller. It's trying to do <laughs> really like arch high performing like uh, uh, references to like older stage acting styles. And it's all of these things and it's also doing like a father and son thing and it's trying mm-hmm. to critique toxic masculinity and it's trying to do Greek myth and sailor myth and American frontierism. Like there's references to, to Sergio Leone in this. Like there's just so much packed in. That's my sailor moon name, sailor myth. <laughs> I like that. I love that show. And you don't need to be named for a heavenly body because you already have one. Ooh. That's right. I'm smooth even after like 10 cups of coffee and still bonk tired. You're on it. You're on it. <laughs> uh, much like Santana and Rob Thomas, I am smooth. Oh my God. That came on on my Peloton workout the other day, y'all. And it's a good workout song. It's a good ending to a workout song. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I want to pick at a couple things. So I, unlike Eggers in this movie, I'm going to try and just focus on a couple things to critique. Sounds good. I like that. I love the lore. And I'm going to... I love the lore and we'll, we'll, we'll end on that note. You love the Lord? No. <laughs> I just, that's what it sounded like. Who? I don't said. know her. <laughs> she is a woman. 
<laughs> According to High Priestess Ariana Grande, yes. Hey. So, I, I'm frustrated with the execution of the myths, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's really what I, what I, I want to focus on. Because that is the, that's the storytelling he's trying to do, right? He's trying to tell the story through a series of better and lesser known lore and myths, right? Kind of like how Lion King's supposed to be Hamlet. Yeah, but also was completely stolen from a Japanese artist. Oh. Yeah. That sucks. There's a really cool story about it, and I think a documentary, um, I think it's called Kimba the White Lion. Oh, Literally, that's right. No, yeah. I knew this. I knew yeah, this. Yeah, I was like, okay. I thought we talked about this. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of different cool myths that are packed in here. Like, the whole thing of the Scrimshaw is its own myth, right? The yeah. mermaids, you, you said, like, yeah, mermaids are good luck, right? Yeah. But also lore. So then you go into the Greek thing, and it's, this is heavily steeped in Greek mythology, and that's that's cool. That that's like the one thing he could kind of focus that's on. That's the overt um, yeah. lore. Like they literally say Prometheus and Proteus. And well, you don't they don't say Proteus, but it's clear. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and like references to famous paintings of Greek myth. Yeah, exactly. Um, like that moment where Defoe is Proteus. That's a very very famous Renaissance era painting. Yeah. Um, I think it's in the Met. Anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, and then like the mermaid as siren, right? Mm-hmm. Literally, the the uh, Odysseus uh, having to strap lash himself to the mast, right? Yeah. And everybody putting wax in their ears. So, at least that's a little more focused on like sort of Homer era mm-hmm. Greek mythology. I need to get into the storytelling part, and I need to make I need to make that critique because I'm 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 spiraling, <laughs> aren't we all? So he gets the narrative. Of I, let's let's break down the narrative. I guess is what we should do, and I'm talking a lot, so please cut it. <laughs> the narrative is, if I'm right, guys running from his past mm-hmm. thinks make a quick buck working for a month at a lighthouse, get some pay, go out west. Yeah, that's more or less his plan. Yeah, doesn't like being told what to do by Daddy Defoe. Yeah. And doesn't like the S to do scut work and immediately wants to be doing the real work, right? Yeah. The hard, the actual hard work, which is keeping sailors from dying. Yeah. Because that's the role of a lighthouse keeper. Gets pissy because he doesn't want to do that work and starts getting angry and then gets mad that he can't get away. Yeah, and a lot of this is irrational because they're isolated and drinking at least once the storm hits. Right. So that's and, all that's all before the storm hits, yeah. right? After the storm hits, our narrative changes. Yeah. And it do, the first one doesn't resolve, right? No, not at all. Which is fine because this is a two-act play, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I forgot to mention, yeah, dope two-act structure, not three Death. acts. I love yeah. two acts. I think it's very cool, but he flips the narrative so in a two-act structure when you flip the narrative that's fine that's a thing you can do and start telling a secondary story that resolves the initial narrative yep so the second narrative is starts drinking starts hallucinating then we start getting more of the promethean thing and we get the back and forth thing which kind of exhausts me personally yes if we're not doing a slasher like chase moment then i don't really want that back and forth maybe once or twice but it's like for this it's like oh he's trying to he's gonna kill him he's gonna bury him alive he's gonna do this he's gonna do that and then he gets hit with an axe and then he falls down like it's yeah for me unless it's like an action-packed 
type slasher scene. I don't I don't personally love it because again, if this were just like a short, I would have really liked it, like condense mm-hmm. it down and just make it one solid narrative. Yeah. Um, I think I would have liked this a lot more and thought it was really interesting. Yeah. So what happens is it starts telling us that it's it's a Prometheus thing right at the very end. Yes. And I I saw that from the beginning. Like, oh, yeah, he's obsessed with the light. That's not the story of Prometheus, though. Prometheus is a fucking hero. I know. I know. Like, Prometheus is, like, what gives humanity, is, it, it, like, what helps birth. That tale is how humanity came to be what we are. Yeah. Not just... And I, I love great apes. I think they're amazing things. Um, but this is the sort of rising out of the out of the jungle moment, right? This is being uplifted. Yeah. That classic story that we tell in sci-fi, we tell in fantasy, like in in uh, Tolkien, it's the it's the gods and the elves uplifting uh, humans, right? In sci-fi, uh, we we get all like all kinds of different versions of like aliens coming down and giving us technology so that we can advance our civilization or whoever the lesser that's in heavy quotes beings are right. Yeah. I, I, I think you have to, you have to pick one thing. Yeah. It's okay. Two or three things is fine. Well, and I want to, I want to say it's okay. If everyone who watches your movie already knows about like the the Greek mythology, so essentially it's already spoiled. I yeah. think that's I think that's okay because it's if if you do it in such an in an interesting way that Robert Eggers is fully capable of, it would have been a much more interesting film if we had known that this was going to basically follow um, and end with a Promethean fate. Then I. I probably would have been way more down for it because when you think about, I, I immediately think of Hades Town. Yes, a lot of people already know the story of Orpheus and um, Eurydice. Mm-hmm. A lot of people There's already a whole play know about it. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the way that Anais Nin and um, the the directors and, and and everybody were were able to make this a an interesting, like a visually and musically interesting story was what was thrilling to watch. Was everyone mm-hmm. coming together and, and showing up and doing their job? Um, I believe that musical has quite a few mixed reviews, but I personally think it was executed beautifully. Hard agree, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that it doesn't matter if you already know the ending in certain cases. If if the the, the people whose hands are on it are already so capable... Mm-hmm. Then I think that's fine because then you can kind of say, like, I was able to um, really focus on the beauty of the storytelling and how it was told instead of what was told, if that makes sense. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I guess my point is, yeah, so it, does, it doesn't resolve its narrative, right? And you're absolutely right that it could be, I think it was told prettily, but not well. Does it's that make confusing. sense? It's confusing. And yeah. I think it is the... I think it is confused. I don't think it knows what's, what yeah. it wants to be. You're right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it wants to be... I don't know if it wants to reference Greek mythology or if it wants to reference Edgar Allan Poe and Hitchcock and German Expressionism, which is... Which is... All of it is cool. It just didn't come together to be a cohesive thing. Mm-hmm. 
Because you can you can reference multiple multiple things, especially like in the style of what you're making. But I think it w- it really comes down to the narrative that yeah. was just confusing. If we had had a yeah. simple narrative, and then you can kind of throw in like cinematography that references um, like a Hitchcock shot or a Carpenter shot. Yeah, you can or do all those whatever. references. That's fine. It's just it, if you don't have a solid through line or a narrative that is easy enough to follow i'm not saying you have to spoon feed the audience but if it's not easy enough to follow and grasp at things and still ask questions like that's what keeps people engaged in movies is kind of like you give them things but you give them edible bites and then they're also able to kind of like ask questions like whoa why did why did this happen why is this there what's what's going on i want to know more about this movie and Mm -hmm. that's what you know makes people want to watch it and then discuss it with their friends or on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I guess like thinking I'm, I, I'm stuck on the narrative thing because I'm thinking of, okay, so you tell a Prometheus tale. Great. Yeah. You can do that. And you can do it in a way that's not just a retelling of the Prometheus myth. Look at the origin of modern horror. You can update Frankenstein it. is literally yeah. called Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. It's a Promethean story. Yeah. You have a creator who makes a thing and then refuses that thing, that which would uplift it and make its life better. Yeah. And it's told, it's flipped, right? Mm-hmm. It does, like, it, it kills me that people think Victor Frankenstein's the fucking hero of Frankenstein. I know, uh, I know. It's very frustrating. It's also kind of like the beginning of the anti-hero myth, or, like, mythos or whatever. Maybe we um, should cover Frankenstein. We really, like I, if there were a good adaptation of it that's not Ex Machina, I, I would cover it. I, I would cover it, but I've never seen a good adaptation of that, well, of I don't, that story. I don't th- well, I don't know. I don't, I, I think we could just talk about that. Just the, the book? Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'd love to reread it. Well, because everyone, I feel like everyone thinks they know what it is, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think that, I think that actually could be a cool episode. It doesn't necessarily have to be like we're covering the movie Ooh. adaptation of Frankenstein or whatever. What would be cool is we can try and find the screenings of when Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller did it. Hmm. Um, yeah. There was a really cool, I, I was going to go see it and then I ended up having to leave town the night early. Um, with my friend Andrew Stairs, uh, former writing partner and current uh, high school teacher. He was obsessed with it, and they came to Louisville and did it for two nights. That's and he cool. had tickets for both nights for both of us, and I had to leave because I got like a job that I couldn't pass up, um, which really sucked. <laughs> but um, he got to see because they would reverse roles every night. So one night, Cumberbatch would play uh, the creation, and Johnny Lee Miller would play... Frankenstein, Victor That's Frankenstein, cool. and then the next night they would flip. You know what I want to see that with? The cast of Oh Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Just Mulaney and Crawl. Papa, why don't you fucking like me? Why won't you make me a wife? I'm Frankenstein. <laughs> Pro. Oh God, that would be. I would pay a Victor thousand. Victor Frankenstein charmed, I'm sure. I would pay a thousand dollars to see that, guys. <laughs> if we made that happen, I would pay a thousand dollars. Shout out! All right, make it happen, babes. It would be amazing. God. But no, but yeah, I, think, I would. I would love to cover Frankenstein. I think in some there would be a lot We talk to, about it all the time, so we should do it. Well, yeah, and I mean, how how um, a woman started horror, guys? Did you know that? Yeah. Did you guys know that? See, I could go on and on and on. There's there's something for everyone. Everyone meaning you and me. Yeah. All, <laughs> All two people in the world. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's I. So to get back to the point that we've gone on. Yeah, you can trim the fat on that one. No, it's staying in. That was all good. Um, so 
Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a very successful retelling of the Promethean tale, but takes a new take on it. Eggers is fully capable of doing that. I absolutely that's kind of what I'm saying, and why I was kind of upset about this. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the things Joseph and I talked about yesterday is yeah. that if this had been his first movie, I think I would like it more. But Maybe, because yeah. I know what he can do, because I've seen him be focused and tailored and know exactly what he was trying to do with the witch. There's no flaws to that movie. That's a good point. That's a really good point because we kind of have to, yeah, once you start putting out work, you officially have a context. Yes. You know? You are judged within it. And when you yeah. try to do too much, it happens to everybody. You get a little bit, of, like, this is why this is why the sophomore slump is a thing. Yeah, why it's a coined term. Right, because yeah. your mm-hmm. first, like, it usually refers to music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your first album, it's, it's it by, uh, it's necessarily austere. Yeah. Right, it's it's you ha- you can't add fat because it's just getting the workout. You don't have the money to put the to put out a like yeah big fucking polished amazing incredible like yada yada a thousand things at once record yeah. right. And then your second album, you try to do like fucking we are the world or some shit because you get studio cash, you get mm-hmm. all these things, mm-hmm. and then you just do way too much. No, agreed, uh, agreed. Um, I I think this is definitely kind of a sophomore slump for him, and I. I again, I don't fault him for it. I think no. that it's a very normal thing that can happen, and a lot of people still loved it. So, and I like it. I think it's good. It's just not yeah. what he can. It's not good. It's not as good compared to what he can do. Totally, totally. If, like if the witch is an A plus, this is a B. Yeah, agreed, agreed. You know, like it's it's almost there, but some of the work just wasn't done. He didn't put in the full work, and I think, and, and again, he just tried to do too much. I tried to do this all the time when I was writing as a younger writer. It happens. Yeah, you you think you've done something. You're like, okay, I said that. Like, I would do it in philosophy papers all the time. I got mm-hmm. just torn to shreds um, by my professors being like, you didn't prove your point. You know that, right? You just went in circles. Yeah. And never landed. <laughs> right, exactly. I was like, yeah. okay, point proved. Next point. And I would try to do all these things thinking I was a fucking brilliant philosopher. And no, I was an asshole. Yeah, it kind of, well, <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like... Yeah, it kind of feels like he's he's circling around what he wants to say. Or not even circling. It's almost like he's doing a figure eight because he's going to these different points yeah. this whole time. But he's never really landing on something because he touches on the Greek mythology thing, but then kind of moves on to, oh, we're in an action moment. And then we're in this. And then it and then the final, final, final scene is pretty... Promethean, like pretty last spot ten minutes on. of the movie are fucking perfect. But 10 if we had had a, are amazing, yeah. But if we had had a little more setup for that, and if it was more pointed at that, I think that it would have had a bigger impact. Even though it's a very shocking image, and it and it kind of relies on that, I don't think it has to. Yeah, like I think there's a much subtler version of a horror film here that yeah. I really like, and the version is focused. We, did, we haven't touched on the homoeroticism in this movie, which is fantastic. I think it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I think I want to praise Eggers for is uh, is some restraint for not showing what I'm pretty sure did happen after uh, Pattinson beats Defoe near to death. And he's walking him like a dog. Oh. There's an that to me it read as and just a heads up. Um, I'm gonna use a word that I don't love talking about or saying, but we need to acknowledge it. There's an implied rape scene there. because oh. he beats the shit out of him, flips him onto his stomach, and then stands over him, towering. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm That's, having a moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm broken. Um, 
Wow. It's beautifully done, and I appreciate the restraint of not showing it, right? I love that he did not show it, and he leaves it in the air for you to decide. But that is a very, very, very oh, common Oh, yeah, that tactic. would have been disgusting if he did. Not, not disgusting because of the act of two men having sex, but disgusting because Well, because it's not having sex. It's yeah. a power, yeah. like, domination grossness. That's the gross part. You're absolutely oh, right, yeah. Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that's what I meant. Sorry, guys. What I meant was you should... So many, so many male directors love to show rape scenes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who it's between; they love to show rape scenes, and it's just not fucking necessary. Um, I, I, I hope I never see another rape scene in my entire life. It's just yeah. so unnecessary, and that's what I mean by, by it's. It would have been disgusting if he had made the choice. Yes. To not leave it as like, just simply implied. Right. Um. Yeah, it's it's something we don't need to actually see on screen a lot. It's I understand where, um, like Game of Thrones, they always made this argument that like, oh well, you know, it's accurate to what happens. Like, yes, but I don't need to see it. I don't think it's any yeah. more powerful making folks watch that because twenty five percent of women have experienced it and don't need to do it again. And look, we're uh, you you have to give your viewers more credit. You can imply something, and we're immediately going to get it. And so well, well, at least yeah. we're going to talk about it, and 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 there there are ways to subtly imply it, even if it is historically accurate. I get it. I get yeah. it. It unfortunately is still historically accurate, um, and and <laughs> yes. you know what I mean. It so you you can you can use your creativity and imply it. You don't have to show that and trigger half of America. Um, yeah. Or half of the world, really. Yes. Probably more. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that, this, the statistic I quoted is just the American statistic. It's, it gets worse the further out you go. Oh, yeah. I'm um, sure. Just in sheer number is all I mean. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that I don't... I also want to be clear. I'm not comparing homoeroticism and male rape. The, as the same thing no no because no, no, there no. is a lot of homoeroticism movie and i think there it's pretty is. beautiful I, there is, I, yeah. it's these two men in like it we have so straight washed history <laughs> oh my god yeah like this whole thing where like oh like guys gay gay is a, ain't a new thing none, none of no. this is new we're just speaking of mary shelley her husband had a big old crush on lord byron oh everybody had a crush on lord byron i mean that's fair I think he fucked a plant too. Um, Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I really, I, I, lo- I do, I do want to praise also the depiction of homoeroticism. I thought it was very well done. It, See, that's it, the it's subtle very thing tense. that I yeah. like. Yeah, it's very tense, and it's kind of like I think they don't want to be into each other, and it does get into back into Greek the stuff. toxic masculinity thing yes. too. Because think about how many narratives we've seen. Where that's where, you know, two people's aggression comes from is that they're actually attracted to each other. It's something that we've seen in movies and, and TV a lot, especially recently. Yeah. I mean, think about think about the whole um, think about the whole uh, narrative in, in Euphoria. Mm-hmm. It, that's the that's, Very that's common, the whole yeah. thing between between Jules and sex um, education. Um, yeah, sex education is another good one. What's the guy's name? Jewel. It, it's it's so it's it's Jules is the girl, and then and then it's um big muscle boy. He, uh, what the fuck is his name? And thick daddy. I don't remember their names, babe. Uh, I, don't I never either. remember names of characters. I, I only remember them as actors I remember Rue and and Jules because they're my faves. Uh, and then Eric Dane is the daddy. Right. The mean daddy. Um. 
but yeah, there's lots of really beautiful stuff too here in in terms of reference, not in what it actually was. But there's like this there's this is a reference to a pederastic relationship, right? Pederasty yeah. being you know, male te- uh, elder male teacher has a sexual relationship with a, a child, but yeah, uh, which is why it's fucked up. But it's something that's very commonly commented on when it comes to ancient Greece, right? Yeah. And that plays into this as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here. It's just I wish that it had focused on certain things. So the movie I would like to see is maybe ditch the Promethean myth or stick to it and do a better version of it, right? Yeah. I don't need you to actually literally try to do the Promethean thing. The story of a dude who gets two dudes getting trapped and one hates the other but also is into the other and then they get stuck on an island and go fucking crazy. That's a horror story. Yeah. Or Prometheus is a horror story. It's just it, it, you know, pick one. Yeah, I think that's pick really one main the, narrative. I think that's the um I think that's our main like huge thesis here is like pick one thing and 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 stick with it mm-hmm. and then you can steep your references elsewhere. You know, yeah, if you if you really want to. You, yeah. You know. So I guess that that sh- I should go into lore to make that criticism. I'm going to praise the use of lore, but I am also going to cr- use it to criticize why this is not an actual Promethean story, right? Great. So we talked about we've touched on this, right? The the longer we, we don't need to do the longer story of Prometheus. Just read the myth; it's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Or read Frankenstein; it's fantastic. Um, I think it still holds up 200 fucking years later. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, I, I, I want to get back to that. Yeah, the Prometheus thing is a hero. Um, I guess well, we've, we've probably touched enough on the Greek lore, right? Yeah, if you have other lore, we can spend time yeah, on that. Yeah, so the Scrimshaw thing is cool. And a lot of people were talking about this when this movie came out because it was a word that was reintroduced mm-hmm. to the English language because a lot of people hadn't heard of it. It was a means of storytelling mm-hmm. amongst sailors because a lot of people couldn't read or write. Oh, okay. So it was uh, pictographic. Mm-hmm. So they would carve into like whale to- uh, whale bones or teeth. Uh, I guess whales don't really have teeth. Well, some do. Um, never mind. <laughs> into whale bones and whale teeth when they do have teeth and not baleen. Um, or other pieces like they would have ivory and things like that. And they would carve um, scenes yeah. into this. And that's the sort of nice version of the history. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it was pornographic and it was so sailors could jerk off. Um, Which he does in this movie. Exactly, yeah. Um, Again, yeah, getting into... uh, So, yeah, Scrimshaw was like this... We've found a lot. Um, It's funny the ones get put in museums and the ones that don't. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like like the guy in Pompeii who who died while he was was beating it. Yes, yes. He's not in the museum. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) You have to to specifically seek that out. You really do. To find that... Uh, but once you know, thank you, thank you to my roommate Payton for telling me about that. <laughs> <laughs> what updates? Um, yeah, so I think that yeah, it, it, Scrimshaw is really cool and like it, it heavily features in Moby Dick, right? Uh, yeah. From Herman Melville. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, kill no albatross, right? It, bad luck to kill a seabird. In this, yeah. but yeah. kill no albatross. Albatross, yeah. Um, that was another common thing um, because birds could lead you to land. They were considered lucky. Birds and, know where food yeah. is, and birds yeah. know where land is. So you don't you don't kill them there, or they're reincarnated sailors, according to right. This so movie. yeah, getting into the, the reality is yes, they do good things for you, but you revere them, and then you sort of myth of mythologize them. Yeah. So they become yeah, reincarnated sailors. Um, there was some other cool stuff in here. Oh, the American Drifter. That's what I wanted to talk about. Okay. 
so during the Industrial Revolution, we're still not, we still haven't really moved westward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the furthest west was like the Mississippi River mm-hmm. and just passed um, in the 19th century. Like we get cowboys and things like that, but California and Texas are still mostly Mexico, as are New Mexico, Arizona. Like the whole southwest is still mostly yeah. Mexico. That has been dropped back, but you know, like it, there had been a bunch of wars over it between the United States and Mexico, but it, it would that border got further and further south as time went on and not quite yet, yeah. right? So the world was smaller essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the telephone yet, you um, depending on when this takes place, I don't know the exact year, but you don't have the telegraph yet, yeah, or telegrams or whatever. Um, You've got trains, but you you didn't have a wide world. Okay. Um, so you've got everything's getting concentrated into cities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is like when New York becomes a big city, Boston becomes a big city, Philly becomes a big city, Pittsburgh becomes a big city because and Louisville because they're all major like factory places mm-hmm. that are on rivers and islands and surrounded by water and can do the whole industrial revolution thing. Yeah. Well, if you don't want to work in a factory, which is a very good call, <laughs> then you could either mine log or sale mm-hmm. all of which are very dangerous professions as well right. so you would get a lot of people around this time there's a lot of these really cool just small stories of people moving from town to town just finding new work yeah. and that's robert pattinson's character so he's a reference to this very classic sort of american archetype that we kind of forget about these days yeah but the person who would have you know maybe gone to mine for gold out west in 1849 during the gold rush right mm-hmm. That's the kind of guy that he would have been, you know? Right, right. Um, and they're the kind of people who I don't think need to be praised, but they're an interesting American archetype that doesn't exist in as many other uh, present-day cultures because we're a fucking giant country. Yes. Um, there's just so much space. And so that's where you get, like, the sort of, not even frontiersman, but, the, yeah, the American drifter, right? Not the cowboy, not the not the panhandler, but the kind of, the person who would do all of those jobs. Yeah, no, I get And you. bounce around. And usually not a great person. Um, They're usually, <laughs> they, I mean, uh, if we're going off of, like, tropes and everything, they usually are running from their past. Yes. And that's and, why they kind of are drifting. Mm-hmm. There was something else that I was going to do, but I can't remember what it was. It's um, okay. I think we can run. That's fine, yeah. So I, I think, yeah, there's just a lot of really cool just... It is steeped in lore, and there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in here. Mm-hmm. I just would like to see a deeper a deeper exploration of things rather than a wider one. Yeah, agreed. You know? We're um, on the same page. Yeah, I think that this movie just sort of existed at surface level and never fully resolves its narrative because I don't think it knows what narrative it wants to tell. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't think... I think it's two different narratives and two different acts, and it's not... There's not really an overarching one. Because um, he's never set up as Prometheus in the initial part. Like, he never... He's being denied something, but he's not bringing anything to someone else. It's just selfish, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not Prometheus. I think Willem Dafoe's a pretty good Proteus feat, uh, character. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. Um, but yeah, I just... I, I felt like this movie would have uh, uh, succeeded better if it had done more more delving and less broadening out. That's kind of my take. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see what Robert Eggers puts out next um, and everything now that we've he's kind of gotten this out of out of out of his system, mm-hmm. um, which, again, it wasn't it wasn't a, a a bad movie by any means. It's got a lot of good shit in there. Um, I just I agree with you that I wish that it had stuck with maybe one thing and then really 
tied kind of tied it up um because there is already a lot going on visually and 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 mm-hmm. everything else that i just think it got a little bit muddy yeah i think that's right yeah it's just uh, i I'm, I'm excited to see the northman i hope it's more focused i hope it's more direct uh more in the vein of the witch i don't even to keep me making the same movie that's not what no, i'm no, saying no, no. And i want directors we just to know what he's freedom. capable of doing exactly so we yeah. want to see that yeah yeah so you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we can always be found at HorrorBabesPod.com. Until next time, wear a mask, get vaccinated if it's available to you and when it's available to you, and stay safe out there. Till next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes. Yeah, babe.